Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The church of God is unstoppable. Unstoppable. There is nothing that stands in the way of, of His church. Nothing that can stand in the way of His church. Nothing. There's nothing that can derail His church. His church meaning his body is going to continue to do what it needs to do as long as he wants it here on this planet. Nothing or no one will stand in the way. No one. It's his. Never forget that. So even when the persecution comes, the church belongs to the Lord. He's got it in control. Nothing can stop the church of the Lord. As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he reveals that nothing can derail the body of God. God is in control. He has all of this life handled. Even when persecution is found in the body of believers, that won't stop the purposes that God has. Pastor James emphasizes that the Lord has the church in His hands and that nothing will stop what He wants to do in and through His people. He will uphold the church and continue His work to completion. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 8 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. chapter 8 is where we're at. Verse 1 of chapter 8, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution. The word, the term great is going to be emphasized throughout this chapter. Uh, it's used repeatedly. But first off here, it's, there's a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So we know the event. Now, it, it's been simmering, right? Like the apostles, uh, Peter's been arrested. Peter and John, they've been arrested a couple of times. There, there's already been some issues within the church. You got Ananias and Sapphira who lied to God, lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed them in church, like took them out in church. And you're all like, does he still do that? Not to my knowledge, praise God, right? Like, thank, thank God. That was like a, a one-time example. But there was, there was already issues, like issues from without the church, issues from inside the church, and it's all Satan trying to disrupt this thing. And then the persecution gets turned up even more so with Stephen, and now he gets executed. And Paul, I'm going to call him Paul because his name does get changed. So it's Saul, yes, I get it, but we will forever know him as Paul. When you hang out with him in heaven, it's Paul, okay? So he's just motivated. He's this, probably this young guy who's just motivated. There's this bloodlust that has overcome him, witnessing Stephen's death. He was agreeing to that. Now, Stephen's death and the things that he said also were seeds that were planted in his heart. Because you can't stand there watching a man get killed and hear that man say, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You can't hear those words and, not, and it not have an impact on your heart. I don't care how callous it may be or how blind you are, when you hear the, the very one, and you know, because it wasn't that long ago that another guy was making those same cries, but he was stuck on a cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then this follower of his, in the moment of his death, he's crying out the same thing. That's going to have an impact on him. And it does. Those are seeds that were planted for him. But until he gets there, until you get to chapter 9, Paul is actively, actively, very proactively assaulting the church. 
It says there's this great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus told them what? You're gonna, it starts in Jerusalem, then it goes to Judea, then Samaria, and then to the othermost parts of the world. Now, why hadn't they spread out? I don't know. I don't know. Some people would say that the church had gotten too comfortable, and they were unwilling to move, and maybe persecution was needed to get them on the move. The Bible doesn't say that, though, so I don't know. Maybe the time wasn't right. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe the time wasn't right. Stephen certainly was the catalyst to cause this gospel explosion, but it's all within the Lord's timing as well. See, his word goes out, and churches get planted when God wants them to get planted. If this thing belongs to him, we trust him with it, he's in full, full control. And he can take it, and he can move whoever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants. It's his business, not ours. So I'm assuming that that's what's happening here. Persecution was, was going to be a thing starting in Jerusalem that was going to get them to move out, and that's what they should be doing. They're supposed to go to Judea and the, the regions of Samaria. In case you don't know how it works in Israel, this is a, uh, we've blown it up, okay? But here's Jerusalem down there. You can see it on that map if you're closer to there. But this is Samaria. It's a region that, that divides this Judea area, the southern part, from the northern part. So there's Nazareth, Canaan, Capernaum, Sea of Galilee, all that good stuff. But so in Jerusalem, you know, to get up to Galilee and all that stuff, the Jews, they hated Samaria. You, you know that, I think. They would go all the way around that. They would go all the way around Samaria because they hated these guys so much, okay? But the gospel, Jesus says, it, it needs to go from Jerusalem, expand outwardly into that Judean region, and that also goes to the south too, and then into Samaria, and then from there to the other ends of the world, okay? So that just is to help kind of put a picture in your brain of where these ripples should start affecting. So there's Jerusalem. Judea is just right there. Jericho is within the Judean area. Uh, and then Samaria, the next part there. So they're now finally going out to these, to these areas. It says here that the apostles are going to stay in Jerusalem. That's the home base. So they're staying there in Jerusalem. Verse 2, it says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Okay, you may think that that's a, a nothing verse, right? Like somebody had to bury him, right? Well, no, here's what's significant about that. According to some of their Jewish laws, you weren't allowed to publicly lament the death of somebody who's been executed. These are devout Jewish men who are like, you know what? We don't care what tradition says because that's not a biblical law. That's man's law. That's a traditional thing. They, Stephen was executed. And these devout men were not afraid to stand up for truth and stand up for this man who lost his life for proclaiming the truth. And he said, we're not, we're not afraid to break the rules. We're not afraid to break the rules. You're telling me that I can't lament, I can't weep, and I can't mourn for the loss of this person just because he was executed unjustly? They didn't even care about that. They were willing to take a stand to do what was right. And in one sense, the meaning, the, the kind of feeling behind that verse is that these men stood up and repented and repented because what we don't know who these devout men were. And if they were part of the seven, it probably would have told us that. More than likely, they were devout Jewish men who knew of Stephen, but also probably had witnessed this execution and said, this isn't right. This isn't right. Devout men, they buried Stephen. They made a great lamentation over him. That's a public, a very public outcry for this man. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church or trying to, seeking to destroy the church 
um, the, the, the terminology there is that uh, it's an imperfect, meaning that he was continuing. He kept on ravaging. It was a nonstop thing. He wasn't going to stop until every Christian was arrested. Every Christian was in prison. Whether you're a man or a woman, he did not care. He was not going to discriminate. You follow Jesus, to jail you go. And he was going through the synagogues and, and everywhere that he could find them. And, and we even know, ver, or chapter 9 is going to tell us, I mean, he was, like, he was like the bounty hunter of all bounty hunters, right? Like he was even catching bounties from up in Damascus region. And he's going to go even up into that region to go what? Find Christians to arrest them. He was ravaging the church. He was seeking to destroy the church, assuming he was doing great things for God, completely blinded to the fact that he was on the wrong team. He thought he was doing great things for God. He was under the impression that he was actually defending God from these blasphemers, people who were speaking against God. Chapter 9, Jesus shows up in his life and is like, hey, Saul, uh, you're on the wrong team, buddy. <laughs> you're on the wrong team, man. Um, won't you come over here? Won't you come on the right side? But he would go and he would enter house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I mean, this was intense. They were getting locked up in prison just simply for being Christ followers, Jesus people, thrown in jail. <clears throat> Something that seems so foreign to us, especially within the area in which we live on this planet we have tremendous freedoms here in America, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and how long they last and all that stuff, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? You get to come to church today. You, you can walk out of this building. There's no Galveston PD out there looking to put you in handcuffs and, and take you away. You don't have that. You're not facing that. Now, are some things getting turned up? Yeah, the temperature's getting turned up a little bit. I get that. But we have brothers and sisters on this planet today who they're getting dragged out of their houses and locked up in prison. That's a reality for them. That's a reality for them. And our, our natural inclination may be to be like, oh, poor, those poor people. God, why don't you stop it? Why don't you rescue them? And God's like, um, have you noticed what I'm doing over there? Like the, the church is exploding out there. The church is exploding, whether it be in China, whether it be in the Middle East. Christians being dragged off, imprisoned, and the gospel is exploding, is exploding. And those people, those poor, quote-unquote poor people, are praying for Americans, saying, God, would you just save those people? Would you just save those people? When you have missionaries coming to America, North America, because they're so concerned about the lost of, of North America, that should tell us something. That should tell us something. Listen, God uses persecution in different ways. What that means for us and our country, I have no clue, but here's what I'm going to tell you. No matter what anybody says, you keep following Jesus, period. They can make laws and rules about it and all that stuff. You just keep following Jesus. What if I get thrown in jail? Start a prison ministry. I don't know. Um, I don't want to be too callous about it, but I'm like, just keep following Jesus. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And this is his church, and these people are getting locked up and thrown into, into prison and these are just, these are real people like you and I. But the church continues to grow. The gospel continues to go out and lives are continually impacted because of what the Lord's doing here. Notice as, as, as you know, determined as Saul was to destroy the church, the more people he locked up, the more, peop more people got saved. So it was working against him. It continually was working against him and it was working against ultimately Satan's plan 
to steal, kill, and destroy. We kind of have a theme, an ongoing theme for the book of Acts. Unstoppable is the word. The church of God is unstoppable. Unstoppable. There is nothing that stands in the way of, of his church. Nothing that can stand in the way of his church. Nothing. There's nothing that can derail his church. His church, meaning his body, is going to continue to do what it needs to do as long as he wants it here on this planet. Nothing or no one will stand in the way. No one. It's his. Never forget that. So even when the persecution comes, the church belongs to the Lord. He's got it in control. Okay? So that's just a glimpse of Saul and what he's doing. Let's, let's see how the gospel is going out. Let's see how the gospel is being proclaimed. Verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word, or an, another way to translate that is proclaiming the gospel. That's probably a more accurate way to translate that. Preaching the word, that's what they were doing, but more specifically, these people who were scattered were proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news. They were just talking more and more about Jesus. That's what they were doing. Verse 5, Philip, who was second on that list of the, the seven who were chosen, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a man of good reputation. Here's where he plays into this story. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city or to a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. All right, so you might be thinking like, you see, went down and you're like, wait, I saw that map in Samaria is like north of Jerusalem. No, 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 you need to understand. Uh, everywhere on this planet is down from Jerusalem, okay? Let me just state it that way. Go to Israel, right? You always go up to Israel. Literally, you physically, you go up to Israel. So I know that Samaria lies to the north of Israel, but when you leave Jerusalem, you're going down, okay? You're going, so he goes down into some city in Samaria. But that's also just to encourage you, all those Psalms of ascent and everything, you're going up to Jerusalem. It's an incredible thing. Uh, if you get the chance to go to Israel, go. And I'm going to tell you this, uh, we had uh, my, first, my first trip out there, we had this tremendous tour guide and all that good stuff. Uh, but our bus driver, I don't know what it was, but they're like, hey, this is special. Our first voyage into Jerusalem, he's like, this is special. We're going up into Jerusalem. I'm going to turn on some special music. He turned on some, uh, some worship music and all this stuff. And, and I wasn't even thinking about it, but I mean, you could just tell like, this is something special. We are going up to Jerusalem. It was an amazing moment. Um, I would hope that you get the opportunity to experience something like that. But here the church, the guys are gathered in Jerusalem. And now Philip is going to go down to a city of Samaria. We don't know what city it is. And he's going to proclaim to them the Christ. He's going to proclaim to them Jesus. Uh, a little history on Samaria. 600 years prior to this, they were conquered by the Assyrians, okay? So they came in from the north, they conquered the area in Samaria, in Samaria and they, they hauled off a bunch of people. Now, they left some poor people that were there. And then these pagans occupied the land. And so some of those Jews intermarried with the pagans. And so for the Jews in Jerusalem, they're like, whoa, you can't do that. You can't do that. And that created a rift between the two of them. A lot of the, the devout Jews considered Samaritans as, as half-breeds, is what they would call them. And they hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. Remember on that map, they would go all the way around Samaria just so that they didn't have to go through Samaria. And there was no shorter, there was no direct, more direct route than through Samaria. But they were so willing to avoid these people that they would go all the way around until this crazy guy showed up named Jesus, and he's like, I got to go to Samaria. 
He told his disciples that. They're like, well, wait, we're going to go around, right? Even the disciples are kind of like, we, we can't go through Samaria. Jesus is like, no, I have to go through Samaria. Why? I just need to meet one lady at a well, John chapter 4. I just need to meet, no, no, Jesus, you can't talk to a lady, number one. Um, that's not kosher. We don't do that. Um, you seem to be breaking all the rules, Jesus. And he's like, I know, I came to break the rules. I came to fulfill the law, and I came to break your rules because they're silly, because they're nonsensical. I'm going to meet this lady at a well. And I'm going to plant seeds of revival. And he told them that. Revival, the harvest, it's plentiful. Pray for the Lord. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send the laborers, right? Well, you saw some of that fulfilled, but you see that really getting fulfilled in Acts chapter 8. So cross-reference, John chapter 4. It's a beautiful chapter, one of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. But the seeds were planted by Jesus. And so now Philip is a follower, and he, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He's, he's a Greek-speaking Jew. And now he's going to go into Samaria... And he's going to preach Christ to them. It says, verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention. I like that term. Um, paid, paid attention. I like that as a pastor and I like that as a parent. Okay? Probably more so as a parent. If I'm honest, I'm like, please pay attention to me. Right? Like, to my children. They don't sometimes. Uh, it's cool. But with one accord, the town is paying attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many, were, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And I, I wrote a little note in my Bible, gospel equals joy. The gospel equals joy. You could also write in your Bibles. You should. You should write all over your Bibles. Don't scratch anything out, but just, you know, highlight, underline. Don't take that too, don't take that wrong. Um, Write all in these things. Gospel equals joy. Gospel equals freedom. Gospel equals freedom. Because here's Philip preaching Christ to these people, and his message is being authenticated by these signs. God is placing his stamp of approval on Philip in this proclaiming of the gospel. Demon-possessed people are, are getting freed up. Why? Because of the gospel. Not because of Philip, not because of him, but because of Jesus. Individuals who are paralyzed. Those who were lame, they had some sort of physical ailment. They were being healed. What? For what reason? To promote Philip and his ministry? Not at all. Not at all. To proclaim and to promote Jesus and the gospel. Jesus and the gospel. But it was being, his message was being authenticated through these signs. And, and it, was, it was something that God was using to, to captivate the audience. As individuals are getting healed and, and demons are getting cast out, more and more people were paying attention, and they would. We understand that, but they're not paying attention to the man. They're paying, they're paying more attention to the message, to the message. And that's absolutely key for the rest of this chapter, okay? Burn that into your brain. It's, it, it's about the message and not the messenger, all right? And there was much joy in that city. It was overcome with joy because of Jesus. Verse 9, but, there it is again, right? Pay attention to the buts of the Bible, right? There it is again, but, however... There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic or sorcery in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody. I like that. Um, I like that. This guy is messed up. But uh, he's, he's going around and he like, does all these like parlor tricks, these magic tricks and stuff, the sorcery. I don't know what he's doing, okay? Pulling quarters out of little kids' ears or whatever. I don't know what it was, but... He's going around and he is promoting himself. He's making sure that everybody knows that he is a somebody. 
Simon would like thrive in our current culture, okay? With, uh, with, all the, with all the social media, the inst- I mean, he'd be like an Instagram star, right? Like, he'd be all over that thing. I mean, he would be, he'd have all his followers and everything, but he'd be proclaiming to everybody, look, I'm somebody you need to pay attention to. I'm somebody you need to focus in on. I'm a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. That's what he said. That's what he was saying. And I love it how the Bible just includes that. He's like, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit's like, this guy, he thought he was somebody great. And he wanted to make sure everybody else knew he was somebody great. Verse 11, it says, as he, or I'm sorry, I went ahead. Verse 10, they all, the city, now this is before Philip shows up, okay? Just so you're not understand. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great, capital G. This man, this man isn't just like, being used by God, this man is the power of God. Like the fleshly embodiment of power from God. They really thought he was something. They bought his message and they bought every book he had to put out too, I'm sure. But they were really paying attention to this guy and they were hook, line, and sinker, man. They were, he got him. He got him. The entire village, the entire town, they were all paying attention to him, both old and young. And they were all convinced of this one thing, that he is the power of God that is called great. He says he's great. He kind of, he does these tricks. This guy is great. This guy's a nobody. He's a nobody. He's a nobody proclaiming to be a somebody. That's the sad thing about the story. I'm a nobody just wanting to tell everybody about the best somebody, and that's Jesus. And I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. I don't have to be a somebody. I don't have to be. You don't have to be a somebody either. You're loved by God. We talked about this last week. Our scripture reading last week was Jeremiah chapter 29. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again from the grave for you. And he's got a plan for you. That's more than enough for you. I'm going to tell you that right now. You don't have to be a somebody. Just be a child of his. Let him be the somebody. Okay? So there's Simon. He's like, I'm the, great, I'm the greatest thing that's ever shown up. Right? That he was proclaiming that. And they all bought into it. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So there certainly was something going on, things that were happening, and maybe it was slide of the hand type stuff, but there's also some instances or uh, some, some sort of idea that this is demonic, okay? You know that Satan can do signs and wonders as well. I hope you understand that. Like, if you don't understand that, you got to read your Bibles. You need to know you're dealing with a very crafty enemy who can do signs and wonders as well. Now, can he do things that are equally great or as great to, as God can do? Not at all. Not at all. He doesn't even compare. Not even on the same level, okay? But he can do signs and wonders. He can deceive people. And he can use individuals to perform magic, okay? We'll use that term magic. All it is is to distract the people, is to confuse the people, and really to try to keep them away from the gospel. That's his goal. But they're all paying attention to him because he did, he amazed them for so long with his magic. But verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news or the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip comes on the scene, and he's just proclaiming Jesus, and he's healing people that were crippled or healing people that were paralyzed or these demon-possessed individuals who were bound up by whatever. They were being set free because of the gospel and because Philip is a Holy Spirit-empowered man. 
been listening to another edition of Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us as we learned about the early church in the book of Acts together. What an incredibly powerful book of God's faithfulness. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more teachings from Pastor James, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. While you're there, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for worship and Bible study. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed, so we invite you to come just as you are. For directions and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We would also love to connect with you. Just drop us a note in the contact form to let us know if you've been blessed by this ministry. Would you also prayerfully consider partnering with us in this ministry? Support from people like you allows us to share the gospel in unique and amazing ways. If you'd like to donate, visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the Donations tab. Any and all donations are welcome and greatly appreciated. We thank you in advance for your generosity in partnering with what God is doing. Our website one more time is breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor James teaches more from the book of Acts right here on Bread for the Broken.